In our study in the book of Matthew, we come today to a turning point in Matthew's record of Jesus' work and his words in Matthew chapter 13. We've noted that this section, Matthew 11, 12, and 13, are about rejection. They record Israel as a nation's rejection of Jesus Christ as Messiah. And we have noted that the Apostle Matthew is writing with at least one main purpose of showing that Jesus is Israel's Messiah. The Hebrew word Messiah means anointed one. It's the same as the Greek word Christ. And passages like 2 Samuel 7 promise from God to King David that his descendant will sit as an anointed king on David's throne forever and ever over a kingdom of peace and righteousness. And that this king, this son of David, will be known as a son of God. And so Matthew is showing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is this promised one. And yet we've noted in chapters 11, 12, and 13 that as a nation, Israel has rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah and his offer of the kingdom. Now we're going to note a little later this morning that one day when Jesus Christ comes back to earth, Israel will accept Jesus as their Messiah. They will believe that he is God's son who died for them and rose again from the dead. They will come to saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Because of Israel's national rejection of Jesus as the Christ, Jesus' ministry changes. His message about the kingdom will change. In fact, we're going to see today in chapter 13 that he introduces new truth about the kingdom that he refers to as a mystery. We're also going to see that his methodology takes some change. While Jesus throughout his ministry has used illustration, has used parable, we see now following Israel's national rejection that he utilizes parables much more in his teachings. So much so that his disciples notice the change and come to him and are going to ask, why the parables? And in the process of not only this parable that we're going to look at today in verses 1 through 23, but the eight or so that follow, Jesus is going to use these parables to share truth with those who believe in him and actually to keep added truth from those who stand in rejection of him. And all of these parables focus in on this mystery of the kingdom. I'm going to read 
this first parable, verses 1 through 23 of Matthew 13. And as we read through it out loud, you can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Notice what Jesus is teaching about this mystery of the kingdom. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow and he sowed and some seeds fell beside the road and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it's not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you'll keep on hearing, but will not understand. You'll keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull when their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky place, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet... He has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold some 60, and some 30. So Jesus here introduces what he calls a mystery. A mystery about the kingdom. Something that we just cannot reach out And touch or see or hear, but is real. When I was a kid, about age three through about age 
six. My parents lived in a little town in northern India called Indiana called Tippy Canoe, Indiana. That's where I lived. Bet most of you've never been to Tippy Canoe. And uh, my father was working on a doctorate at Grace Theological Seminary. Unbeknownst to me at the time, my wife also lived in the area in Winona Lake, Indiana, while her dad was attending the same school working on his master's. It was a great life for a kid. While my father worked on his degree, he also pastored a little church, and we lived right next door to the church. And I spent all of my time outside. The older church building had honeybees in the walls of the church. And I used to, that's where my love for bees started. And I used to sit and just study the bees and did little experiments with them. And the church was perpetually wet. And so there was a sump pump that ran continuously. And my brother and I had a massive construction of of canals for the water and little gates that we would open and close and and we just spent tons of time just outside in Tippecanoe, Indiana. One afternoon as I was outside, I distinctly remember to this day looking up, probably seeing cumulus clouds, but looking up and thinking that I saw God. And I ran into the house I remember it as clear today as when it happened, kind of yelling to my mom, I just saw God. Now, probably a puffy cloud. And I didn't put my trust or my belief in Jesus until much later. But even from that early age, I was keenly aware that there was more to this world than the physical. There was more to this world than I could just touch. And while I perceive that, there's many in our culture today who believe this is it. If I can't see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, smell it, It's not real. That the world in which we exist is simply physical. And fail to recognize that creator God, who's the creator and sustainer of the universe, broke through. One day, Jesus is coming back. And we believe here at Faith Bible Church that that could happen any day. And when Jesus comes back, he is ultimately going to set up his kingdom. And when we get into our study in the book of Daniel, we're going to talk a lot more in detail about timing of all of that. But one day, Jesus is actually going to come back And set up his kingdom here on earth where he will reign in Jerusalem over a kingdom of righteousness and peace. It will be a rule where someone can see it, experience it here in the physical. And yet Jesus here 
talks about the fact that there is a mystery aspect to the kingdom that has actually come. Now, we look and we say, how is the kingdom a mystery? Because we can go to 2 Samuel 7 and it tells us all this truth about the kingdom. We can go to the book of Zechariah and it talks about Jesus Christ coming back to earth and his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives and the Mount is going to split. There's going to be a plain form. We know all of this truth in the book of Isaiah about the fact that when the kingdom comes, it will be populated not only by Israel, but people from the nations will come to faith in Jesus. We know all of this truth about the kingdom. How is it a mystery? Well, Jesus here in Matthew 13 is introducing some new truth for us. The fact that Israel rejected Jesus as their king is delaying his inauguration of the kingdom. And something that was not foreseen in the Old Testament, in a clear way at least, is happening. That there is a mystery form of the kingdom that has been initiated. A form of the kingdom that men and women and boys and girls enter that's not seen, but they enter it individually through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this chapter, Matthew 13, is a chapter talking about Jesus' mystery form of the kingdom that he introduces. And each of these nine different parables, we're only going to look at one today, teach us something about the mystery form of the kingdom. What I want to do this morning is we're going to begin by looking at verses 10 through 17. The disciples' question Why all this teaching in parables? And then we will go look at the parable and Jesus' explanation of the parable in verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. This shift in Jesus' teaching is a direct result of what has been recorded for us in chapter 12. Israel as a nation's rejection of Jesus as their king. And in this shift, we find Jesus sharing new truth. New truth that the kingdom has, in a sense, come, but in mystery form. It's come in advance of its full inauguration, which is going to come. We believe here at Faith Bible Church that Jesus Christ could come back today and will catch us up as a church in the rapture. And then there will be a seven year period of tribulation and then Jesus Christ will return with the church to earth and set up this physical form of the kingdom. It's coming. But Jesus' point is that right now, in a sense, the kingdom has come. For those who believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And the disciples come in verse 10. And they say this. Why do you speak to them in parables? Why the parables? And Jesus is going to share some truth with them. That he's already shared. He's going to tell them that. 
He actually teaches in parables for two reasons. For those who believe in him, he wants to continue to teach them so that they can look, learn more of him. But for those who stand in rejection of him, like the religious leaders of the day that we saw in chapter 12, he's actually withholding truth from them by speaking in parables. Look with me at verse 10. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus, Jesus answered them, To you, it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not been granted. And what he does in verses 11, 12, and 13 is shares the same truth that he's already talked about in chapter 11 and 12. He says, he continues on in verse 11. But to them, it's not been granted for whoever has... For whoever has, to more shall be given, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he quotes from the book of Isaiah, picturing the fact that just as in Isaiah's day, Israel stood in rejection of God's message, so also today. Now, remember with me back to chapter 11 in verse 22 and 24. Jesus' point was even the Gentiles were more receptive to God's message than Israel was. And because of that, because Israel had more revelation shown to them that Gentiles had earlier, Israel would incur a stricter judgment in eternity. Notice verse 22 of chapter 11. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Down in verse 24. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Jesus' point. The more revelation a person has been given and rejected, the stricter, the more severe judgment will be for eternity in hell for that person than for the person who stood in rejection of Jesus Christ without as much revelation. Bible teachers believe that what's happening here in Matthew chapter 13 verses 12 and 13 is Jesus is actually acting graciously to those who stand in rejection of him by not giving them more truth. In other words, if I gave you more truth and you're already rejecting me, you're going to have a stricter judgment in hell. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not going to give them more truth. They already reject the truth they have. But for those of you who believe in me, I continue to teach you. You see, the difference is those who put their faith in the person of Jesus Christ have the spirit of God as their teacher. And they can take those parables and teach that believer from those parables. But those who stand in rejection of Jesus do not have the spirit. And what Jesus teaches is foolishness to them. And so Jesus very clearly here explains why the parables... Now there is good news. He is still the teacher of those who believe in him. In fact, down in verse 16, it says, but blessed are your ears because they see and you, excuse me, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. There's believers in God in the Old Testament days who long to know more of the kingdom and they never experienced it. 
And Jesus is showing his current believers truths about the kingdom that Old Testament saints just couldn't even fathom. Now here's what I want us to really key in on in verse 11. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And each of these parables in chapter 13 is going to teach us something more about this mystery form of the kingdom. This kingdom that Jesus has already said has come upon us. This kingdom that a man or a woman or a boy or a girl enters through faith in Jesus Christ. This mystery form that was not clearly seen in the Old Testament, but has come because of Israel's rejection of Jesus and is in mystery form until Israel comes as a nation to believe in the Messiah at his second coming. This mystery form of the kingdom includes us now. In the church. But it's broader than us. It actually started at the moment Israel rejected Jesus as king. And will continue until Jesus returns to earth and sets up the uh, Davidic kingdom. And through that mystery. Even though we can't reach out and touch it. We enter it through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, just a reminder, the New Testament writers pick up on this. The New Testament understands that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are kingdom people. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. And in Colossians 1, 13, it says this. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice it's past tense. The transfer has happened. At the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, at the moment I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I became, you became a kingdom person. We have been transferred into his kingdom. The book of Philippians chapter 3 verses 17 through 21 says this. Brethren, join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is no longer here. At the moment... You put your faith in Jesus. At the moment I put my faith in Jesus, we become citizens of God's kingdom. Not this earthly 
kingdom. Barbara and I, my wife and I, both grew up in Christian homes. Both of our sets of parents loved Jesus Christ and raised us up from as early as we can remember hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. And and even though both of us grew up in Christian homes, we grew up in homes that differed as well. My home was very structured. We, we didn't have to question what the rules were. We knew what the rules were. They are very, they're just laid out, black and white, no question, and we knew what happened if we broke them. Barbara's family didn't have very many rules, which caused interesting conversations as our children grew up and we had to start disciplining and laying down ground rules. We grew up in very different homes. In fact, um, when we our high school experiences were extremely different. My wife was very popular. I kid her that that uh, she would only go out with guys who drove Corvettes because it's kind of true, but not totally. And her parents didn't even have a curfew for her. And I had all kinds of rules, and I didn't even need them because. I didn't even hardly talk to girls. I mean, I was a science club. I wore my TI-30 Texas Instruments calculator on my belt. Um, I was a beekeeper. Uh, and I'm the one with all the rules that I didn't need because I had no social life anyway. <laughs> so my wife would hear, she'd go out on a date and no curfew. And I I can't fathom that. In fact, all that would be said is as she was getting ready to leave, her mom or her dad or both of them would say to her, Barbara, don't forget, you are a daughter of the king. That's it? That's all they told you? You're a daughter of the king? But you know, if you think about that, that's all they really needed to say. Because that little phrase packs a lot of truth because as a believer in Jesus Christ she represents her king Jesus and as a representative of Jesus Christ it should affect how she lives the choices that she makes because she is a kingdom person And in a very real way, the same thing can be said about each and every one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. We are children of the king. That truth alone should be enough parameter for us to answer the question, how should we then live? Well, Jesus has answered the disciples of why he's teaching in parables to give truth to his followers and actually to withhold truth from those who stand in rejection of him. And now I want us to look at the first of this series of parables that are teaching truth about what this mystery form of the kingdom is. And in verses 1 through 9 and verses 18 through 23, 
we see the first truth that Jesus shares about this new form of the kingdom. And it's simply this. In the new form of the kingdom, there will be a worldwide sowing of Jesus' message. The message of Jesus Christ will be shared throughout the world with differing or varied responses. Jesus here pictures that with a parable. The word parable, the English word parable, is based on a Greek word that's a compound word. It's it's two Greek words put together. One of the words is the word to throw. The other word is the word for alongside. So the word parable means thrown alongside or placed alongside. It's it's an illustration. And here, Jesus gives us an illustration of this worldwide sharing of, of, of his message, the message that Jesus is God, who's going to die on the cross to pay the price for sin and then rise again from the dead, proving that he's God. And that through faith in him, through believing in the person of Jesus Christ, one can have their sin forgiven And enter into right relationship with God. That's the message. And it's going to be proclaimed throughout the world. With different responses to it. And in sharing that message. Jesus gives us the first truth about this mystery form of the kingdom. This this worldwide sharing of the good news. And he does it. In a parable, a parable of four different kinds of soil. Here's the, here's the story again in verse three. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns. And the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So we find Jesus. It tells us he left the house where he'd been staying. He comes and there's this large crowd of people. Probably religious leaders. Probably his disciples and maybe some seekers mixed in. The crowd is so large and to avoid just being engulfed by them. He gets into a boat, takes the boat a little bit off the shore, sits down and starts to teach. And he shares this story about sowing grain. My brother-in-law is a farmer. He farms up in North Dakota about 15 miles south of the Canadian border huge tracts of land and they farm a lot of ground he uh, doesn't just go out into a field and take a handful of wheat and throw it out on the ground Uh, he'd never get done he has this huge air seeder that I, I don't even know how wide it is and air carries that wheat seed down little tubes and drills it into the soil Very precise. Well, in Jesus' day, they didn't have huge air seeders. 
They uh, actually, the farmer would take handfuls of grain and just kind of cast it out. And where it fell, it would fall. We live kind of, Barbara and I kind of live out on the edge of town, out in, in the county. And we have a 1.4 acre piece of ground where our house is. And sometimes I have to sow seed. Uh, we had some stumps ground, and when I wanted to have some grass where the stumps were, so I just took some handful of grass and, and kind of sowed it and, and, and put some soil on top of it. Great stand. Worked out fantastic. But when we first moved out to our place, we had to put in an entire new septic system, and it was a huge pit. It was like 40 feet long and 30 feet wide and 8 foot deep, and by the time that was all put in, our whole back of our property was just mud. I couldn't go out with little handfuls of grass seed and seed it. No, we had to broadcast, seed had to be broadcast. Now suppose I was doing that at my place and, and I was out broadcasting grass seeds. Some of the seed probably would have fallen along the road. You know that little strip of really hard packed down gravel. And if that seed, if seed landed there, I could see just birds just come snatch it up. It's gone. And some of the seed could have gotten into our decorative rock around our shrubberies. And and I could see, because over the years a little dirt gets in there, I could see that seed really just germinating and growing up really quick. But then we hit July and August, and boom, it's gone. Just scorched. I could see some of that seed getting along our ditch. And in our ditch, there's all kinds of Canadian thistle. I hate Canadian thistle. My wife looks at it. Oh, it's so beautiful. It says, Barbara, it's an obnoxious weed. I spent hours cutting that stuff as a kid. I hate Canadian thistle. But some of that seed could have gotten in amongst the Canadian thistle. It might get a beginning, but there's no way it's going to grow. It, it couldn't even see any light with all the Canadian thistle. But some of the seed could get into the, just that good topsoil and just flourish. Well, that's Jesus' parable. And then he goes on to explain it. And in his explanation, I want to draw our attention, attention to about six truths, six applications. Here's application number one. We should expect fruit in our lives. When a person puts their faith in the person of Jesus Christ, fruit is the natural outcome. What's the fruit? The fruit is Christ-likeness. It's, it's Jesus' life being replicated in our lives. That's the norm. That's what the Christian life should be. We see it in verse 23 when it says, And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. John 15 verses 1 through 6. We should expect fruit in our life. It doesn't mean that I look at my life last week and, and if I just compare myself this week to last week, I might say, I don't know if I'm growing or not. But if I look at my life now compared to 10 years ago, I should see some growth in my life. That there, I should be more like Jesus Christ today than I was 10 years ago. We should expect fruit. 
Fruit is the norm. Principle number two. It's important for each of us to assess what soil do I represent? What soils represented in my life? Am I bearing fruit? Or is my life like the soil that fell along the ground? That I know that maybe I've even been at church, this church for a long time. I know I've never really embraced the person of Jesus Christ. People might be surprised about that, but maybe I've never done it. I've never really put my trust in him. It's important for us to look at the different soils and say, what soil am I? Principle number three. Seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ is a spiritual battle. Notice with me again, verse verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sowed beside the road. The last thing Satan wants to see is men and women and boys and girls come to faith in Jesus Christ. The last thing. This says that Satan likes to snatch away that seed of the good news. That's why it's imperative that we as a church family be praying that God would use us to raise us up to go into his fields that are white unto harvest and that God would open hearts of those with whom we share. That's why Pastor Brian asked us to be praying for people in our webs of relationship who don't know Jesus. Satan does not want to see people come to faith in Jesus. Principle number four. It's important for us to continue to go over the gospel with those in our web of relationship who put their faith in Jesus. If you know someone who's a new Christian, the best thing you can do with them is start getting together with them and continue to go over the truth of the gospel. Verse 20. The one on whom seed was sown in the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the world, because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is a person who maybe gives mental assent. Hey, that is good news. But never really trusts in the person of Jesus Christ. When someone first makes a profession of faith in the person of Jesus Christ, it's vital that a brother or sister comes alongside of them and continues to reinforce that good news, the message of the gospel, to encourage them that this is God's word, that we can have confidence that what he says he will do, that Jesus is God, that Jesus did die for us and rose again from the dead. So continue. To go over the gospel with new believers. Principle number five. The Christian life is not lived on an island. Another way of saying that is the Christian life is lived out in community. Think about these verses. We've just read in verse 21 that when affliction or persecution arises, it's easy for a person to get, in a sense, scorched. 
It says because of the word. Somebody starts making fun of them because of this faith they're contemplating. And boom, I guess I'll leave it behind. Or the next verse talks about the cares, the worries of the world. And the deceitfulness of the wealth choke out the word. That's why we need each other. We need brothers and sisters in Christ around us. So that we can encourage each other and practice the biblical one another's of encouraging one another, praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens. Just a few weeks, we'll have sign outs out again to get into a community group, to get into a growth group, uh, our ABFs, to get connected with brothers and sisters in Christ on a deeper level so that we can share with each other. And it's important for us to remember that It's not just me that needs that, but other people need me. Other people need you. Other people need you to encourage them. We live out the Christian life in community. And finally, principle number six, living the Christian life is indeed a daily challenge. Here, that seed that went in amongst the thorns It's so easy to allow temporal stuff to take our heart. And that's why every day we've got to make sure that we're keeping short account with God. That we're confessing our sin. That we're depending on the spirit of God to encourage us and and empower us to live for him. You see, so many people think that the only aspect of this world is physical. This is it. What I see is what we get. And don't recognize that God is transcendent. That that God broke through in the person of Jesus Christ. And through faith in him, we can enter his kingdom. and, And travel through this place and have our citizenship actually be someplace else. As representatives of the king father I thank you for your word and the encouragement you bring to us in it help us by your grace to be good representatives of king Jesus I pray this in Jesus name amen